morning, everyone. We, I'm going to move this over here because I feel like visually, uh, as we conclude the book of Jonah, Jonah is in Nineveh, so I feel like I should stand over here. Uh, it's a cheap way of set design. Um, we spare nothing but the vest at Hume Lake. <laughs> Um, hey, if you have your Bible, please join me to Jonah chapter 4. This is the whole purpose of the book. It's been leading us to this chapter. In fact, many of our kids' Bibles, uh, the illustrated ones, they generally cut the story off before chapter 4. But this is the point. Um, and, and, and the climax of the story is here. So just a bit of a review, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jonah. He said, arise, go east to Nineveh and call out against it because of their sin and wickedness. And Jonah gets up and he goes as far west as he can. And yet the Lord hurls a storm at Jonah and the sailors hurl Jonah overboard. But God has not given up on Jonah. God provides a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And the fish was not a punishment by God, but it was a provision of God to save Jonah from sinking to certain death, a death that he deserved. Jonah prays from the belly of the fish and God answers those who call out to him. Even if there's still issues of protest that we have, God answers those who call out. The fish vomits Jonah, hurls Jonah onto dry land. And Jonah finally goes to Nineveh and he preaches 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And that happens. The Ninevites are overthrown. They are thrown over. They are transformed and they believe God and they repent. They shuv. They turn from their evil ways and God responds with grace. He does not bring on them the destruction that he threatened. How do you think Jonah felt about all of this? Ah, we're going to find out. <laughs> Not good. Uh, in fact, uh, Jonah, you know, these were his enemies. And think about your enemies. And, and we may not use that term much, but an enemy, even according to Jesus, as he taught, an enemy isn't someone far, far away. An enemy is actually someone within the camp. It's someone who hurts you. It's someone who takes things from you. Someone who insults you or opposes you. And uh, when I was young, uh, I remember one of the earliest lessons that my dad taught me. This was before he came to know Jesus. Uh, I used to play, when I was about four years old, I'd play with my next door neighbor, Jimmy. Jimmy was a lot bigger than me. And I remember we would play and oftentimes Jimmy would hit me. He would sock me and I didn't like that. And I remember I told my mom and dad, I said, you know, Jimmy hits me. And what do you think my dad's advice was? <laughs> yeah, you, you maybe had that too. My dad said, the next time Jimmy hits you, hit him back. Okay, again, unsanctified, uh, you know, response there. Now, as a four-year-old, I was still learning language and I was learning phrases and I didn't quite understand the phrase to hit him back. I didn't know that back meant like hit him in return. And so the, no, the thing I thought I translated it is the next time Jimmy hits you, hit him in the back. And I remember thought, that's kind of weird, but okay. Uh, so we were playing out on my driveway. Jimmy socks me while we're playing or whatever. And I remember, okay, I'm going to hit him in the back. But I waited. It was like half an hour later. I had to wait till he left to go home. And Jimmy goes like, all right, I'm leaving. He goes home. He turns. He shows me his back. And I quietly sneak up behind him, get a crow hop in there. Thud, right in between the shoulder blades. 
I don't think it hurt him. He was just confused, and so was I. And he's like, like I'm like, that was awkward. And he's like, okay, see you tomorrow. And then he left. I'm like, well, that didn't really, really work out. But that's often what we, we feel. We feel that's justice when our enemies, someone that we uh, can't stand, someone who hurts us, someone who stands completely opposite of everything of who we are, we often seek their destruction. We want to see them go down. In fact, we want God to take them down as well. We want God to punish our enemies. And yet we're going to find that in the book of Jonah that God longs to save our enemies. Chapter 4, this is where Jonah pouts. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Uh, the forgiveness when God said that he would relent from sending the destruction that he had um, promised or that he had said he would bring when he doesn't punish the Ninevites, Jonah thinks this is very wrong and he became angry. Literally, Jonah is burning with anger. He's a man on fire. Uh, he's not just slightly upset. To Jonah, Nineveh's repentance was a great disaster. That's the worst thing he ever wanted. Jonah considers it a great evil that God is going to have mercy upon his enemies. Now, up to this point in the book, we have not learned the exact reason as to why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. I was talking with one of the uh, kids and, and we were speculating and, and, and surely we thought maybe Jonah was afraid for his life. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because they were violent. It was a tough message that he had to give. Surely that might have played a factor. But here we see in Jonah 4, chapter, verse 2, we see his reason. Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? So apparently, Jonah already prayed. When God gave him the call to go to Nineveh, Jonah already protested at home. And he said, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This, this is what I didn't want, God. And this is what I told you. Back at home, when you called me to go to Nineveh, I said, I don't want you to forgive them because I know you, God. I know who you are. And because I don't want my enemies to find forgiveness or salvation, I'm going to go the other way. Verse, two, uh, verse uh, 2 continued. He said, I knew, he's talking to God, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you are slow to anger, and you are abounding in love. You are overflowing in love. You are a God who relents from sending calamity. You're a God who relents from sending disaster. That's why Jonah fled. Not because he feared for his life, but because he hated Ninevites. He wanted to see their destruction, not their salvation. Isn't it interesting though? Because when God was compassionate and merciful and patient with Jonah, Jonah liked it. <laughs> I love that about God. But when God wants to show that same compassion and patience and forgiveness to Jonah's enemies, Jonah burns in anger toward God. Jonah gives a familiar five-point description of God. And you're going to hear this throughout the scriptures. In fact, it's one of the most often quoted scriptures uh, repeated in the Old Testament. Jonah says, I knew, God, that you are a gracious God. You're gracious, meaning you show favor to those who don't deserve it. Kids, that means God lets kids have dessert even when they didn't eat their dinner, right? I know, 
That's gracious. You didn't deserve it. And yet God longs for you. He's like, I knew that you are gracious. I knew that you are compassionate. And that word is actually kind of related to a mother's womb. It, it speaks of, of tenderness and, and, and motherly love. He goes, I knew that you are compassionate. I knew that you are slow to anger. And, and this is a, a Hebrew idiom, a literal a word, which means that you have long nostrils. What do you think that means? Why, why would Jonah say, I know God that you have long nostrils? Um, because when we're angry, you know, you, you tend, your nostrils flare. Can you do that with me? Can you flare your nostrils like you're really angry? You know, you know when you're fuming with anger, right? Well, this, what this means in Hebrew, that you're slow to anger, it means, God, you, you have lengthened nostrils. You are slow to become angry. Might we grow in, in being slow to anger as well? Might God grow our nostrils as dads, right? That we would be slow to anger. You are abounding in love. You are overflowing. And this is the Hebrew word hesed. It's where we best, it's either translated steadfast love or where we translate the word grace. You're overflowing in this committed love to people who are not committed to you. It is a covenant love. It is a, a pledged love. And then lastly, you are a God who relents from sending calamity. You relent from sending disaster. God does not seek the destruction of mankind. He actually seeks their salvation. And Jonah knows this about God because this is how God has revealed himself. This is God's self-description. For a thousand meaningless points, does anyone recall where, this, where God said this about himself and who he said it to? Exodus 34, to, to who? Moses? Do you remember there's this account in Moses in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34? Moses says to God, I want to see you face to face. And what does God say? <laughs> you can't, you'll melt. Your face will melt. I mean, he doesn't say that literally, but you'll die. No one can look at me. But God ends up putting Moses up, you know, he climbs up on a mountain. He puts him in a cleft and God says, I will let my goodness pass in front of you. And then I'll, I'll cover you with, you, with, you my, with my hand and then I'll, re, I'll release my hand and you'll get to kind of see my backside. And, then, and it's this amazing story. And as God passes by Moses, God says something. He declares his name. And in Exodus 34, the Lord says, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate one, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, one who relents from sending calamity. This is God's description of who he is. Now he also says right after that, yet I will not let the guilty go unpunished. So God has a hatred and a wrath towards sin, and yet he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is who God is. And so when, when God forgave the Ninevites, God was merely acting in ways that are consistent with who he declared himself to be, and Jonah didn't like it. And Jonah knew that he would do it. Jonah was grateful when God was merciful toward him, but angry when God showed that mercy toward his enemies. It's kind of hypocritical, isn't it? You want God to be gracious and slow to anger with you, but not your neighbor, not those other men or women uh, who even defy him. So uh, Jonah says this in verse three and four. Jonah says, now, Lord, Jonah's so upset. He says, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah says, choose, God, either destroy Nineveh or destroy me. 
it's a little heavy-handed, right, Jonah? <laughs> you know, it's like, like sometimes we, we go a little overboard. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? The Lord replies, what I feel like is a soft question from a father. Is your anger justified? Do you have a right to be angry, Jonah? And Jonah doesn't answer his questions. We looked at verse five. Jonah had gone out and he sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter. He made himself like a fort. Kids, you ever build a fort? Jonah, you know, if you build yourself a fort, it's because you want to you hang out there for a little while. He builds himself a fort and he sat in the shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And, and, and I wonder why would he build a shelter? Why is he waiting to see what would happen? How long is he going to be there? Maybe 40 days? Maybe to see if in 40 days, fire's going to come down and they're going to be destroyed. Maybe that's what he's hoping for. He's kind of like Alfred in the dark night that some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> that's Jonah. And now God walks Jonah through an object lesson. He walks him through an object lesson designed to catch Jonah in his own inconsistency. And so uh, I'm going to ask, uh, I need some helpers here. Uh, in fact, I'm going to ask Jeremy, would you come and, and help me out? And then I need, remember there, there was a couple of kids that did the worm last night. Where, where's one of the worm kids that did the worm? Come up here. I need you because there's a worm in this story, believe it or not. <laughs> awesome. What is your name? Logan. And this is Jeremy. All right. Okay. You're going to be a tree. Can you be a tree that provides like, like a leafy plant? Awesome. And then you're going to be a worm and, and you're not coming in yet. So you're going to be over here and you're going to need to worm your way over here okay. in, in a moment. So we're going to continue the story. So in, in verse uh, five, Jonah had gone out. He made himself a shelter. And in verse six, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Okay. And he made it grow up over Jonah. So you have to kind of like grow up into a big leafy plant. Can you grow up? There, there you go. <laughs> and, he, and this leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Are any of you in the sun right now? Wouldn't you like a nice leafy plant? Wouldn't that just be like, what a gracious gift just to come over you to provide shade? And you know what? Um, it says that, that it made uh, Jonah very happy. Uh, now, you guys, dads, this leafy plant that made him happy is not the leafy plant that's grown in our area that makes people happy. It's a different leafy plant. He grows up. He's very happy. Jonah's like, oh, I love this plant. This is great. But so God provided this, right? But in verse 8, it says, but when the sun rose, God provide." I'm sorry, in verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provides something else. He provides a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Cue the worm. Can you worm over here and pretend to bite this guy? He provides a worm. And then, and he chews the plant. And the plant, with, what's, the, 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 what's the plant do? It withers. Okay, now you're on the ground. Let's thank these guys. Great job, excellent. So these are two pieces of nature, creation, that God uses again for his purposes. Remember, they're, they're collaborating with God. And so the next day when God provided that worm, it chewed the plant, it withered. And then even that, God provides something else in verse 8. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Give me a scorching east wind. <sighs> scorching and stinky, right? 
And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And so again, God uses nature uh, according to his purposes. In verse 9, God said to Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about that plant? Jonah loved the plant. He's like, I love plant. That's like the best thing in the world. It is. Jonah said, it is, it is justified. I am justified in my anger about that plant. I loved it. it. It provided shade for me. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Do you see what's going on here? We're only a, two more verses. Do you see what God's doing? He's, he's leading Jonah into a trap, right? Into a logistical trap. Jonah, get out of there. Get out of there. Now for the last words of the book. And this is the purpose of the book. And God is going to leave Jonah and all of us with a question. It's amazing that this book doesn't end in a period or an exclamation point. It ends with a question mark. But the Lord said to Jonah, verse 10, Jonah, you have been concerned about this plant. Literally, you have pity for the plant. That pity means you have tears in your eyes for the plant. Though you didn't tend it, you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Verse 11, and should I not have concern? Should I not have tears in my eyes for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people? That's bigger than Reading where I live. More than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? Question mark. Mic drop. End of book. God ends with a question for Jonah to ponder. Jonah, you have tears in your eyes for this plant. Shouldn't I, as God, have tears in my eyes for the Ninevites? For the enemies? Your enemies? Uh, he says he calls them people who don't know their right hand from their left. Uh, kind of puzzling for us. Well, what do, what do they mean? Does it mean that they're... they're uh, kind of dumb, uh, that they're not educated, does it mean that? Or, or it may mean this, that the Ninevites don't know their right from their left. Um, God's people, Israel, had been given special revelation of God through his written law. Uh, God had given Israel commands, and he had told them, now follow my commands, and don't turn aside to the right or to the left, but obey my commands. Maybe the Ninevites, they did not have God's law. They don't know, you know, their right from their left. They don't know what, what God's right is or what's good or what is evil. So the Ninevites are ignorant, but they are still responsible for their behavior. God says, shouldn't I have concern for them? Aren't humans more valuable than a leafy plant? Can I ask you guys that question? Don't answer, think about it. What is, what's more valuable, a leafy plant or 120,000 humans. Okay, and then he even says, I love it. Okay, Jonah, even if not the, the humans, but what about the cattle? <laughs> what about the animals, Jonah? At least care about the cows. And he leaves it right there. And that's the way the book ends. It's beautiful. What is Jonah's answer? Speech says, we don't know. The, 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 the author doesn't tell us. We don't know if Jonah gets it. Now, this is, this is uh, just my theory. Uh, I, I, you guys know this. I don't know if I told you this, but Jonah is a chump in this book. Would you agree? 
he's a chump. His chumpiness just abounds more and more. Um, and in fact, I, I named one of my children, I named him Jonah. And it's not after the prophet Jonah, but over the message of this book of God's unrelenting love for everyone. And it's my theory, and again, who am I? I'm Trav from Norco, California. We have horse trails there, not sidewalks. But I think that Jonah gets it. There's no evidence scripturally, but how would we know the intricate details of Jonah's conversation with God had Jonah not told on himself? How would we know his prayer in the belly of the fish? How would we know how outlandish, how ridiculous Jonah is had he not conveyed that to someone? I don't know that for sure, but that's just my theory. But the book doesn't say Jonah's answer and the question is just left hanging there. And so therefore the question is for every reader who will read this book. And now that includes you. We are all responsible to our, for our own response that should God have pity for our enemies? Should God have tears in his eyes for the worst among us? Should he be concerned for them? And are you okay with the fact that God relents and he saves Nineveh? And are you okay with the fact that God seeks your enemy's salvation, not your enemy's destruction? And will you rejoice when God lavishes his grace upon those who oppose you, who come against you? It's a tough question. Jonah felt that God would be best glorified by the destruction of Nineveh, but God was best glorified by showing mercy and grace toward the undeserving. I have two takeaways uh, from this book. And the first one is this, God longs to be gracious to them, not just you. God longs to be gracious to them. And when I say them, you have to answer that. Who are the them in your life? Who are those outside of your church? Who are those that come against you? It's easy for us to feel superior to Jonah because of how, how foolish he is in this book. But the purpose of the book is to consider that we are like Jonah. We too, we love when God is merciful to us. And yet sometimes we grumble when God shows that same mercy to people we don't care for. Um, I, I've been a pastor in Santa Cruz, California for a little while as well. And, and uh, surfing, any surfers here? Anybody surf? Um, surfing is, is quite important in Santa Cruz. There's east side and west side surfers, which I always thought was weird instead of north side and south side. But the way the bay comes in, it's, don't, it, my mind just explodes with that. Um, but there are these stickers I would see on cars in Santa Cruz. And the stickers would say, surfing stinks, don't try it. Surfing stinks, don't try it. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's a surfer. <laughs> that they, you know, people who put that sticker on their cars, they are surfers. And I thought, how hypocritical. <laughs> you have experienced the joy of riding a wave don't you want others to experience that same joy? And they're like, no, <laughs> no way. And I get it because apparently a wave, you know, the more surfers you get out there, the less waves you catch, you know, the more that they get in your way. But not with God's grace. If you have experienced the goodness, the joy of God's grace and his mercy towards you, 
wouldn't you want everyone to ride that wave? Is there any limit in supply of God's grace? Does he take any away from you so that he can display it and and dispose it towards someone else? No. (laughs) And so our heart is that God would, would save our enemies, not just destroy them. God longs to be gracious to them, not just you. Here's my second takeaway from this book. And this is for those of us who feel today that God's love, God's grace is not available for you. Or maybe that you've run out of it. That God's grace is wide, but not wide enough to cover the things that you have done. Here's the good news. God longs to be gracious to you, not just them. God's grace is available for you. The book of Jonah shows us that if God will respond with mercy and love to the people of Nineveh, the epitome of wickedness and violence, then surely God will respond with compassion toward you. And each and every day, today is an opportunity for us to turn, for God to uh, lavish his grace, his, his unmerited favor upon us. Or do you think that that God is running out of patience with you and that one more sin and one more failure and you're toast? And though sin runs deep, God's grace always runs deeper. I know for me, um, I understood that it was by grace that I was saved, but then I felt that every day after that, I had to work to keep my salvation. I felt that, okay, you gave me grace like in a one-time moment. But now I need to live a good enough life to maintain that grace. But I realize that the the truth of the scriptures is that we continue to stand in grace day after day. Today, I am in need of God's grace. John Stott said it, I think, brilliantly. He said, everyone needs to be justified or uh, saved once, but we need forgiveness every day. Every day we confess, we we come to God. God is growing us more and more in the likeness of his son, Jesus. Remember the greatest miracle of this book is not the big fish. It's that God rescues rebellious people who turn to him for help. People who don't deserve it. People who will be unfaithful to God, but yet he is faithful. His love is pledged to them. God longs to be gracious to you today. He is compassionate He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is a God who relents from sending calamity and disaster. Let's pray. Father, I believe it is a truth from scripture. It is a truth from the book of Jonah to declare this, that you long to be gracious to others. You long to be gracious to my enemies, not just me. And you are right to have tears in your eyes for Nineveh, for those who are far from you, those who have their backs turned against you, those who have their fist raised up towards you. God, may we have tears in our eyes as well. Tears for those who are far from you, for those who come against us and who seek to take things from us. Just as we have received your grace and mercy, might we be people who extend grace and mercy to those around us, especially those who mistreat us. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who took his enemy's sins upon himself, 
It is in his name that we pray, amen.